0: Hi, this is Julie.
1: This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This
0: is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters To Go.
1: You are listening to Satellite Sisters. It's Sunday, February 8th. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California. Happy to be with you today and happy to be with my two big sisters. Julie Dolan is in Dallas, Texas. Howdy, Julie. I haven't said that in a while.
2: (laughs) Howdy, Leanne. (laughs) i I, I say that all the time now because i live in texas
1: (laughs) and liz is in santa monica california namaste liz (laughs)
0: Thank you. That is the language we speak here uh, uh, in Santa Monica. There's almost no storefront uh, on the shopping street near me now that isn't yoga related in some way. Uh, Just many scented things. Here's another thing I noticed on my street last night as I was walking home from somewhere. I'm like, there's no food anymore. It's all juiced. It's all nothing is in solid form anymore on my street. We have juice bars on every freaking block now to directly across from the all the coffee bars so no solid food in Santa Monica breaking news
1: you know what though I did see a couple of weeks ago I reported um souping is the new juicing and I saw as, that. as soon as I said that we have a mobile soup guy now we have a guy like a rickshaw with soup in the back that just rides really? around Pasadena selling soup out of the back of his rickshaw so they so- okay, I appreciate the effort there. <laughs> a hot soup to go on the street? I don't know about it, but uh, we have a full show today. We're going to talk a lot about the media, a lot of media stories this week, some good, some not so good. I have the inside scoop on the Jennifer Lopez movie, The Boy Next Door I had a very fun lunch with my friend, uh, Barbara, who was the screenwriter on that movie. And uh, I, it was a hoot, and I have some inside stories. Right. Uh, new piece in the New York Times by Cheryl Sandberg about housework at the office. Why are women expected to be really good at their jobs and throw the birthday parties that we all hate at the office? Um, speaking of hate, Liz hates email. More on that later. And uh, her spot poll on Radio Shack. <laughs> who's sad, who's not. And then finally, Liz, you were at a Grammy party last night, which is, that is, um, I was,
0: I was, that seems shocking. There were nominees performing live. Uh, I just had no idea who they were, but (laughs) more more on that. Now I don't feel so bad about it.
1: (laughs) All right. Uh, but first we want to talk about Brian Williams. Julie, you, you felt strongly that we needed to talk about this Even though it's been a huge story, you have more to say.
2: Yeah, it's a big story. He has stepped down, stepped aside from his post as uh, editor-in-chief and chief uh, anchor at NBC News for the next couple of days. And this uh, relates to uh, some embellishment, some lying, some fabrication of stories regarding regarding his time in Iraq and now his time in New Orleans during the Katrina storm. So – let me just say I, I, there is I have no joy in like seeing someone, you know, disgraced or, you know, explode or go down in flames. You know, I but and I I, I don't watch Brian Williams, but I always feel very sympathetic towards him because he was a favorite of our mothers. You know, yes. she loved Brian Williams. <laughs> yes, I think she did. it was just it was the pocket square or his ties. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She mm-hmm. just thought he was sort of handsome and cute. And uh, she loved to watch him. And every time I see Brian Williams, I always think of our our mom. So, uh, you know, I'm sort of saddened by, you know, by this demise. But on the other hand, I mean, I I really do think it's awful if he's making up stories uh, about his time back or his time in Katrina. He's a newsman. He's supposed to bring us the facts. Mm -hmm. You know Mm -hmm. what? For
1: me, Brian Williams has always been, and I've said it before, because Sheila loves him and I have always been skeptical, he has always been like the William Hurt character on broadcast news. And if you have not seen that movie in the last 20 years, turn it on your TV now because it's on somewhere. It's on all the time. And that is such a fantastic, insightful movie about the news business done 25 years ago. I always think of Brian Williams as being an affable man, you know, Mm -hmm. very entertaining Mm -hmm. on the late night shows. But in no moment of crisis would I turn to him for the news. I, I feel mm. like he is a presenter, but not really a journalist of any regard. And so, I, you know, I, I think you get what you pay for with Brian Williams. So it doesn't really surprise me or shock me. Uh, and I wouldn't watch him anyway. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: you just, you just kind of don't care. Yeah. I, I mean, said, there's it's, no it's moment sort of about... <laughs> You know, the existential issue here is what really is news on television anymore? Because I feel bad. I'm affable is a good descriptor. Uh, he seems like a good guy. Yeah. I like the fact that he has managed to take news and make it fun in other environs. You know, slow jamming the news, things like that. You give him credit for that. But live by the sword, die That's by the, the sword.
2: Yeah, the- I hate that when he does that. Yeah, jamming I jamming the news. Yeah, I I but really. I mean, but you
0: could tell that was his instinct with the news is to be an entertainer yes and or a presenter, as they would say in uh at the BBC a news reader they don't they don 't give their anchors any special managing editor journalist qualities they're just news readers, and that 's probably what our anchors will become because. Aren't we all kind of over the idea that they definitely know everything about what's going on in the world? I, I noticed that Tina Brown, who always has something smart to say about everything, she said you could solve this problem by removing his managing editor title, and just leaving him as the host. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's then, right. He's and, the host of the news. Yeah. And then I, I kind of agreed with that, but then I thought it's it's a sad statement about the news then because then there is, we don't really have any like credible individuals who are going to give it to us straight that's it's you either have cable news where it's just people with an attitude screaming at each other or you, or you have John Stewart and Stephen Colbert and I feel like Brian Williams was always more in the Don Stewart camp and so now he's been sort of unmasked as that it it is sad because there's just, I don't know, I, I've said it before. There's just, nobody just tells you what went on in the world today anymore. Nobody, nobody will do that for you anymore.
2: And you can't, it's not like you can go to the internet to find out what's going on. Because people put up plenty of fabricated stories there. So it's just, you know, I mean, I think he always pretended to be a journalist. You know, he had those those khaki pants and he wore <laughs> vests and, you know, he went places and things like that. But, um, you know, I I don't know whether he'll survive or not, but I'm certainly, it's going to be a long time before I watch him because I think in particular the things that... uh, he decided to embellish or not tell the truth about are pretty serious. That's all. Yeah. And
0: it's, it's the self aggrandizement that, you know, that is the difference between being a journalist and being anything else. Right. Right. Everyone else does that all the time. We all tell stories that make us look better than we might have actually looked. Satellite Sisters specializes in that, you know, it's okay. But nor, nor do we position ourselves as uh, serious journalists. Uh, but when you exaggerate actual facts and you're in a job that's supposed to be about journalism, then that's not right, right? So he just – he was always, like, on that knife edge, and now we know he's fallen off the edge. He's William Hurt. He's crying on camera.
1: Remember that classic <laughs> scene when Holly yes. Hunter yes, finds he him is. out when he's fake – does the fake cry, and, like, she – Puts it all together when she sees the B-roll. And there you go. That's what we've just say, seen the B-roll on Brian Williams is all. It's
0: harshly in, but I guess it's true. Well, it's true. I, I guess. But, yeah. Go,
1: read the paper. Still a good journalist in the paper. Listen to That's the radio. Yes. Still good journalists operating on the radio. You know, I think there uh-huh. are good journalists on television. You just have to, to find them and and then tune out the
0: other stupid stuff. But yeah. Yeah. I think TV does not reward actual journalism anymore.
2: Sisters, here's another story that has had me scratching my head this week, and that is about the NPR podcast Serial. I I think you both have listened to it. You know, five million people have downloaded this series, and this was about a convicted murderer, um, Adnan Syed, and this was his story, and they kind of did a deep dive into all the facts associated with this murder. It was a a teenage—Adnan was a teenager— and he was convicted of strangling his former girlfriend. So he just this past week has received a motion to appeal and he gets to present new evidence to a panel of judges. And the claim is that because he wasn't properly represented in his first trial, that um, he had inadequate legal defense, um, that they didn't follow up with an alibi witness and they didn't um, pursue his interest in a plea bargain, so he's going to get get to appeal. Now I, I don't know. I mean, this series is very involving, and if you haven't listened to it, I certainly would recommend get in the car, give yourself twelve hours, just drive <laughs> around and listen to it. Am I right? I mean, yes,
0: it's very involving. In fact, I'm not even sure how we're going to be able to talk about it without blowing it for the people that haven't listened yet. But we can try, Julie. Mm-hmm.
2: I I'm, and I don't. I, so, but uh, the part of one theme that comes through is as a listener, you are and you are constantly trying to weigh: is this person innocent or is he guilty? Was this conviction correct or was this you know was this misjustice? And you know, I, I just it's one of these things where you know by the end of the series. You still, you know, some people form very strong opinion about his innocence or his guilt, while others, I think, were still left wondering, you know, could, you know, what really what went on? You know, even though they um, the the podcast, 12 hours, lots of details, lots of facts about what, you know, the background of all the characters involved, the eyewitnesses, the police statements, what the what the attorneys did and what happened at the trial you know, you're still not certain about what happened. So when I heard this news that he's going to get the appeal, you know, it took me right back to those feelings I had when I was listening to the podcast. And, you know, on on the one hand, if an innocent man can be released from prison, that would be great, you know. But on the other hand, as I think many listeners feel, Maybe he isn't an innocent man. I don't know, Liz. What did you think when you heard the news? Well,
0: I I think the most important thing is that radio listeners not get to decide if he's really innocent or guilty. So I think it's... You know, that it go back to judges makes sense to me. Wait, we're Um, not
1: crowdsourcing that anymore? (laughs) I I, I
0: think crowdsourcing (laughs) justice. Let's hope we're not there yet. Like based on what Sarah Koenig chose to tell us in those 12 hours, we're all going to get to vote on whether he spends the rest of his life in jail or not. I'm really glad that is not our system of justice. And I'm really aware of that. You know, Sarah was making editorial judgments all the way through. So we don't know all the facts. We just know what she told us in a 12 hour piece. It's sort of on that same knife edge between entertainment and journalism right. that we were just talking about, right? I mean, she tells it in this incredibly compelling way. So I was whipsawed back and forth from guilty, innocent, guilty, innocent. And then I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I think, and what about Jay? Jay, <laughs> you know what's up with Jay? I, I still don't know what's up with Jay. So um, don't
2: blame he, it all on Jay, Liz. That's what I say too. What'd okay. you say? I said don't blame it all on Jay too. No, I mean okay. So no. that's, I don't that's, really
0: that's... buy Jay anyway. So <laughs> he, uh, uh, I I think it's good that the facts will be reviewed by people whose job it is to review facts. And if there were things that were not right, they can address that, give them a new trial. But then a new trial like 20 years after the fact or however many years it was, that's really complicated too. So I don't know. I don't have a right answer about what the outcome should be. But based on what I heard and what Sarah Koenig chose to tell us in those 12 hours, it does seem like it's worthy of a higher level review. So I'm glad for that. So So there you go.
2: You have your time. You have, you've you've got your notice. If you have not downloaded the podcast, do it now. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Liz and Leanne here, and we are so grateful to have Osea support satellite sisters. Why? Because it's just a great product. Holy cow. Do we, we love Osea's skin and body care. And you know what? This mother's day.
0: Absolutely. Yes. All right. I'm so. about
1: halfway through. So that's why I'm just bowing out of this conversation. I'm, mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. I'm almost not listening. <laughs>
0: yeah, <I do. laughs> And that's why 100%. I don't I don't yeah. want to say anything so specific that we spoil it for people because <laughs> it is very dramatic and just an incredible piece of radio storytelling. And it does seem to have put the word podcasting on the map once and for all. So obviously we're we're happy for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll take
1: a portion of her five thousand, five million 5 million downloads anytime. <laughs>
0: okay. Speaking of other kinds of storytelling, I noticed that this week that Ariana Huffington, who, you know, we've interviewed many times on Satellite Sisters. She's been back in our radio days. She would like come to the studio and talk to us. Yeah. Which was always a lot of fun because- Ariana just has her finger on the pulse. Wouldn't you say? There's something about her that she just always seems to be a step ahead of everyone else. So I was very happy when I saw that the Huffington Post announced this week that they are going to start focusing on uh, a whole section of their website that will be good news. And I've I've heard people try to do this before, but, but the good news always devolves into, like, we found the puppy, or you yeah. know,
2: things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Liz, those are good stories. It's like, <laughs> I have some very nice dog stories there. So, is that what Ariana Huffington? That is do? not
0: what she has in mind, Julie. What she has in mind is stories that are really about how things are getting better what are actual solutions to actual problems who are the people that are making it happen her her position is that's just as newsworthy people that fix problems should be just as newsworthy as people who create problems and that the old adage if it bleeds it leads just cannot rule the way we uh the way we look at the world so i'm really rooting for them i'm just going to make it a small uh uh, campaign to so just go there every day. Just, just click around a little bit. All you have to do is click. You don't even have to, you can show your support by just clicking on a few of those stories instead of clicking on the, you know, the latest Kardashian headline or or the latest, you know, sort of uh, spectacular, bizarre news that, that always pops up on the internet. So once again, I just feel like she's, you know, she's been into this sort of Wellness, meditation, thriving thing lately. Thrive was the, the title of her most recent book. And I think she sees this good news effort as sort of an extension of that, of just putting more positive things into the world. And so I'm for that. So,
1: you know uh, what would be a more positive thing? If she paid her writers, that oh. would be so positive. <laughs> Does she not pay them? No, you don't. Most of the people on the Huffington Post post for free.
2: Oh, okay. That's why I That's I posted thriving Liz. Yeah, I,
1: yeah. <laughs> she has a tiny tiny percentage of paid writers, but most people you're like granted. Like I'm a HuffPost Post writer because they uh-huh. ran a piece from a book, and they're like, oh, contribute any time, oh for free, thanks. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Okay. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry oh. to to rain on your good news, Liz. <laughs> and good for her. And I'm sure she's thriving. But, yes, uh, she
0: is thriving. Okay. Yeah,
1: it's a little bit tricky as a writer to sort of really get behind them because they, you know, they, they make, you know, they get a lot of clicks on people's work for free. So...
2: Okay. And it's so. Sorry. I'm sorry,
1: Liz. I'm sorry. <laughs> boy, I'm a downer today, aren't I? You are, but you said you have a good Jennifer Lopez story
0: coming okay. up, so it's all good. So you are <laughs> you're forgiven as long uh, as you can balance out uh, the downer with some um, like behind the scenes with J Lo. We're good. This is, no, you know, that I point. can't
1: do that. Well, the, here's here's the deal. All right, so I don't know. I, if you've seen The Boy Next Door. But this is the Jennifer Lopez movie that came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it did, has done very well at the box office. It's a $4 million movie. It's made, you know, $40 million so far. Um, it's about Jennifer Lopez, who's a teacher at a school getting involved with a boy. The uh, Well, in the movie, it's a 20-year-old 20 20 year guy who somehow is still in high school that she does not know was her. Is her uh, is her student in high school. So that's just a little bit of the, briefly, the, the plot. But um, the screenwriter is the mom next door. She's a mom that used to live a couple doors down from me. Uh, I mentioned her on the show the, a couple weeks ago because at age 40, she left her job at the U.S. Attorney's Office, and she went back to screenwriting school at UCLA and got her master's in screenwriting. This is the script she wrote 10 years ago for her MFA thesis that actually won a lot of awards when she graduated from UCLA, got her a manager, got her an agent, sort of started her on the road to professional screenwriting. Um, But it's kind of impressive in a young person's town, a 40-year-old mother of two, kind of making a go at screenwriting. So after 10 years, her movie comes to the screen. And um, I was very happy for her. I haven't seen her in a couple of years. Our kids were at school together, but we just haven't run into each other. She's moved to a much better neighborhood. And uh, so <laughs> I I contacted her through Facebook. I'm like, hey, let's have lunch. It was something I almost never say to anybody. And, she, <laughs> so, and so she's like, yeah, let's. And so in preparation for our lunch, I have to go see the movie, right? I gotta go to support sure. her. Yeah, So yeah. Th- so Barrick's out of town, so I can go to a movie at 545 on a Thursday if I want to. Nice. So I go to the Arclight in, in Pasadena to see the boy next door. I am the only one in the theater. So uh, apparently uh-huh. there are no other Real Housewives of Pasadena that want to go to the mo- <laughs> movies. and Which means, of course, I can go to Tokyo Wacko next door and um, sneak in a California roll for 3.95 nice. Happy hour pricing. So that's good. And I mean, the movie got, uh, kind of campy reviews, you know, they said there's some ludicrous scenarios. And when I was setting up our lunch date, she had shared a little bit with me that what ended up on the screen was very different than the script she had turned in. Uh, And I won't go into a ton of details, but there was one one of the nutty things is that Jennifer Lopez's character, originally written as like a private school English teacher who teaches like an AP literature class, has been redesigned as a public school teacher who teaches what she keeps calling in the movie, the classics. Now, (laughs) now, you know, many of you know- I was a classics major in college. We don't often see ourselves on the screen. You know, there are plenty of people who are doctors and lawyers and firefighters and nurses, and they see themselves on the screen all the time. But your ears perk up when, like, you hear classics mentioned. But it is, of course, classics. It's never the classics. The classics is, I don't know, something else. Classics is just Greek and Latin. And then... (laughs) Uh, so I kind of cringe when I hear that, and then there's a whole Homer Iliad thing, and then this one critical scene in the movie that's supposed to be really bonding. The you know young boy comes in, hands Jennifer Lopez a book, and it says the Iliad on it, and it's like a leather bound book from I don't know like 50 years ago, and she said a first edition of the Iliad. <laughs> Okay. So, I mean, I was alone and I laughed out loud. So I can only imagine. And then I cringed. And, you know, the Iliad, of course, was written 3000 years ago. Uh, It wasn't actually written down till like the, you know, like the Middle Ages, like 1000 A.D., So a first edition like that, none of that makes sense. And, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, did Barbara write this? Like, oh, God, how am I going to talk to her at lunch about this, this stuff with the classics and classic and the first edition Iliad? And so I meet her for lunch and all the way home, I'm I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. I was like, well, maybe it was a first edition of, there are famous translations of the Iliad. So maybe it was first edition of the Lattimore translation or something, you know? And so I see her at lunch. She comes in and the first things out of her mouth were, I did not write that line about the first edition of the Iliad.
2: (laughs) Sounds like Brian Williams was the fact checker
1: on the movie land. <laughs> well, apparently, she knew that was going to be top of your list. Well, it was top of her list, Liz, and that's all that mattered. Like she, she, it was hilarious. She said, "Oh my gosh." it's now a meme on the internet and this is true like it was such a ludicrous line and mocked so heavily she's now a meme the first <laughs> edition of the iliad like all the other things jennifer lopez receives you know crazy things like that she's like the left shark of the internet now and <laughs> the poor poor barbara she she didn't write any of that that was all added ec- afterwards she didn't she had her as a literature professor and all the bogus iliad achilles stuff she was just like slapped on top by someone, by everyone on the set who clearly knew nothing. So, and it was killing her not to have to defend herself. She said, Leah, now I'm getting like." I'm getting emails from idiots telling me what an idiot I am, you know. And she's like, a, "She said someone today emailed me like how first edition of the Iliad," and she said, and she spelled edition a d d i t i o n, and I have to try to respond to this idiot's email. And you know, she's a lawyer, oh my God. you know, a U.S. attorney. That you can't, you don't get to the U.S. attorney's office with podunk credentials. It's it's killing her. So.
0: Oh, that is hilarious. She said, I
1: have no doubt I will be nominated for a Razzie award just for that line (laughs) that I did not write. (laughs) So, and she's torn. Like, she can't, she needs to work in this town again. And you don't want to tear everything down. And there was other stuff that went on that I will keep confidential. But I feel like she has, she did an interview with the Daily, like, the Hollywood Reporter called her about the line. Like, how could you possibly? (laughs) Write that line. Like, how could that possibly be in a movie and no one picked up on it? And she's like, I didn't write the line. So uh, anyway, I feel like I should clear her name. If there are other okay. people out there that saw the movie, she's also not responsible for the wackadoodle ending. If you've seen the movie, she oh. she did not write any of that either. <laughs> so,
0: okay. <laughs> just, but That's now we're... And I'm kind of interested to see the movie. Right. Before I was very ho-hum on that. But now it sounds just crazy enough to be uh, in the so bad it's good category. Yes,
1: and that is kind of what people are saying with this line about the first edition Iliad sort of as the, you know, the centerpiece. Like, this is how bad it's good it is. Like, this is what (laughs) she actually says with the straight face. So, (laughs) poor Barbara. She just – and – She said she only saw the movie three months before it debuted. She was writing, she was working with the people, Jennifer Lopez's manager and stuff, and then was sort of off. You know, they they tossed her off the movie, so she only saw it when it was finished. And she said when she sat in the theater and she heard that scene and she heard that line. She just about died. I mean, she literally mm-hmm. just about died. And that's the difference between, you know, being a novelist, they don't go in and change all your work. Uh, but yeah. this is just, and again, being a lawyer, she wants to defend herself. But she also knows that wouldn't necessarily be good for her career. So... So there you go, first edition of the Iliad. Oh my God,
0: that's fantastic! There you go. Well, I know, is good for her. Yes, and she's working on other stuff now.
1: Yes, she's sold a couple of things since then. She's she's got another script that she's working with a director on. So yeah, so now she has a so, but it is kind of a tough issue. Like she doesn't really want to be known as the writer who wrote the line about the first edition of the Iliad, and yet she is. <laughs> so, no, poor thing. That's
0: bad. Could make for a funny story in all of your meetings. It you will. Know? Well, they, she did, but...
1: She said what she's done this week is just look up the writers that have gone on to like win Academy Awards who had like horrible first movies that were nominated as Razzies. And she said that's uh-huh. given her a lot of strength this week. So <laughs>
2: there you have it. Well, speaking of strength, sisters, you know, I was thinking a lot about, I think one of your favorite commercials at the Super Bowl is the Like a Girl commercial, you know, the one about the girl and girl powers and running like a girl and throwing like a girl. And, you know, yeah, I I just
0: like that whole campaign. It's a good position for, you know, it's good information put out into the world. And uh, there are lots of elements to the campaign. So, yeah, I'm for it.
2: Yes. So it was about power. It was about strength and confidence. And I was thinking about that when I read an article this week by two female faculty members, Sharon Marcus and Anne Skomorowski. They were writing about the film Boyhood, which is about boyhood. But their their point is it's also about girlhood. And they focused their article about the sister in the movie, Samantha, grows up alongside Marcus, the boy, and sort of what happens to Samantha in the 12 years that they make the movie and, you know, in her character in the script. In the beginning, Samantha is that, you know, she's that young, dominant girl, she outperforms her brother. She's, you know, she's constantly teasing him. She's, you know, she can uh she can sing songs, she can speak in different languages. She even challenges her controlling stepfather, you know, in the beginning of the movie because she has that power, that strength and that confidence. But as the movie goes on, the two authors of this article point out that sort of Samantha fades, that she speaks less that she uses a lot of filter statements like, I mean, or it could be, I mean, and that she sort of identifies a lot more with her self facing mother. And in fact, her storyline kind of trails off and it focuses solely on Mason, not Marcus, sorry, uh, the, the young boy. And, you know, I just, I, I mean, Liz, you've seen the movie, right? Yes, I have. Uh-huh. And, and it's, did, did that strike you in the movie that as... He became sort of more dominant. Uh, Samantha became, you know, sort of faded away. You know, I did not
0: notice that in the movie. And it's interesting because that girl is Richard Linklater's real daughter. So huh. the the director of the movie, he said, I heard him talk about this. He said, when, I, when we were starting the movie, my daughter just gave me no choice but to give her that role. Like, she was like, I'm in, Dad. That's it. We're not even discussing it. So... Uh, So that's interesting that she was a powerful enough girl to, like, just put herself in the movie to begin with, and then you see that um, happen with her over the course of the movie. It kind of makes you wonder how much of that was written into her story and how much of that is just these people you're talking about kind of seeing things that happen all the time with girls in the world.
2: I know. It was well... The third, I mean, I was thinking both about, about the commercial, and I had read that article, and then I picked up my granddaughter, Alice, this week um, after school. I, um, and she, she sat in the back seat, and <clears throat> I was driving her home, and she said, she said Nana, um, I hope we can change the Constitution. So I was like, whoa, that's a, that's a big statement. You know, I didn't know where it was coming from. I was like sort of bracing myself like, okay, are we going to be talking about immigration now? What What's going to be the topic? And I said, well, why do you want to change the Constitution, Alice? And she said, well, I'd like to be president of the United States. Oh. And as you know, Nathan, I was born in London. And to be president of the United States, you have to be born in the United States. And I just... <laughs> I just thought that was adorable. <laughs> that is I know. And I just thought she just turned eight this week and I hope that power, that strength, that confidence she has, you know, to think that she wants to be president of the United States. I hope that just sticks with her the whole time. You know, I hope I hope she you know I'm going to do everything in my power as her grandmother to make sure she does not fade away, and to to change the constitution. (laughs) And I'm going to change the constitution.
1: You know what, though, Julie? I understand. Like, I read those studies, or see those ads, or you know, whatever. I hear about girls, teenage girls, and how they're doing this and doing that allegedly, and not engaging here. And then I meet teenage girls. You know, I see the female friends that Brooks has. And I, you know, last night Colin had a party and I see these dynamo high school girls. Or I hear stories from mothers of boys saying, we're just getting crushed in school. Like they're just... <laughs> And girls don't want to have boyfriends anymore because they're too busy studying and running student government, and they're athletic powerhouses, and they're all applying early decision, and they have all their applications in by August. And <laughs> I, so sometimes, for me, honestly, as someone who sees a lot of teenage girls, there's a huge disconnect between the actual girls I meet and what I alleged, I read these about these teenage girls. I think every teenager has issues. I mean. Boys Mm -hmm. fade away in their own way, too. So there's they, you know, boys are not as confident as people give them credit for. Boys have issues about their social life and their, you know, their academic success and things like that. Like teenagers got issues, you know, and they all change as they go through puberty. But all I meet is dynamic powerhouse female girls like there was a bunch of girls that were supposed to come last night and I said oh why you know oh what happened why didn't they come well they were working on their research paper I was like are you kidding me like (laughs) (laughs) So they like junior girls like gave up the night at a you know, a cute boy's house to work on their research paper? What's wrong with them? You know? So I don't know. I think Alice is okay. I think there are girls in studies, but I I, the individual young women I meet are fantastic and you know sure everybody comes with a few issues but in general they seem to be very confident young women who then go on to do great things in college and out outside of college that's what i would say Okay, uh,
2: that's encouraging.
1: Okay, it's when they get to work, apparently, that they revert back to their mothers. So here's, <laughs> here's the latest from Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant in the New York Times. They have that great column that they do every couple of weeks called Women at Work. Sheryl Sandberg, of course, is CEO of Facebook, and Adam Grant is a professor at Wharton Business School. And we've talked about a couple of their columns before, but this week's is uh, entitled Madam CEO, get me a coffee. And why do women do, quote, office housework? Like what is wrong with us that high achieving women are also the ones that end up, you know, mentoring the younger people in the office, throwing the office, you know, birthday parties, taking care of sort of the emotional needs of the office. And not only that, they're actually punished for that in a series of um, social experiments or studies done by various psychologists. um, Employers were asked to evaluate the performance of male or female employees who would stay late to help colleagues for an important meeting or uh, those who would like men choose to mentor, you know, younger colleagues that were having trouble. And the men, when they said no, they were judged more favorably than the women. And over and over again, they saw this, that the men were recommended for promotions and projects and raises and bonuses. And the women who had actually done a lot in terms of teamwork and, you know, taking one for the team were not uh, rated as highly as men and did not get promoted as often as men. And there's some, you know, anecdotal stories about, you know, women, the senior person in the office sitting at a table with younger male colleagues. And, you know, the board of directors turns to her and says, Oh, could you go get us some coffees? And the younger men just sit there like they don't, (laughs) they don't even get up. What is wrong with us, Liz? Do you, Liz? I don't believe you've ever gotten anyone a coffee. Is that the no, secret? No, I have not. No, I, or I, organized an that. office Christmas party. Nope,
0: never done that. This could be the secret to my success, <laughs> Leanne. The, I'm, I'm seeing this now. Yeah, I read this story, and I was thinking about my own work environment uh, and my own career. In my current work environment, I would see. I would say that I don't see day to day evidence of of this, um, but in general. it clearly is true that women in a workplace need to be seen as, unselfish and team builders and it's because we still expect them to be nice and nurturing and that so if you're not nice and nurturing which in a work environment means you're a good mentor and you're doing those kinds of things uh that's held against you and men aren't expected to be those things so women are punished for being selfish and men are rewarded for being selfish i think is the basic yeah. gist yeah the basic <laughs> gist of the of the study and I, yeah, I would say that that is largely true. It it has never been my problem. Um, however, <laughs> I, I, I would also say that women do, and I would count myself in this category, we do know we have a particular obligation – Um, in the mentoring area or in helping to bring uh, younger colleagues along, especially, you know, younger female colleagues. I don't, I don't know that many senior women who don't take it very seriously to that. They, I think it's because we kind of assume that unless we highlight the work of this woman, she may not get the kind of promotion she deserves. So most of the women I know go out of their way to um, to highlight the work of their younger female colleagues and to mentor them, even if it's in kind of an unofficial, just being a supporter kind of way. And, you know, I would suspect that most men don't particularly feel like they need to put the spotlight on the fine work of their young male colleagues, you know. So you end up, Doing a lot of extra stuff, just because you know you have uh well because you want to see these women get ahead and you do fear a little bit that the promotion process is uh is stacked against them, but goodness knows I've never thrown an office birthday party. <laughs> have you
1: ever cleaned out the employee uh, like refrigerator <laughs> uh no
0: okay. <laughs> um i'm trying to think of anything along those lines that i've ever you never really sold done.
2: cookies you've never sold cookies
0: or nope bars nope oh you- hey hey wait a minute this year at the end right before christmas the our company had a like no christmas party policy no departmental christmas party policy because they have a giant corporate party but i had a party for the whole department for my whole international division, even though I'm not the most senior person there. And so All you know, right, I, this. Okay. I occasionally step out just yeah. like, because you know what, what a lot of it comes down to is there's a lot of rhetoric in the workplace about uh, teamwork and how right. important teamwork is, but most promotion policies or even pay policies are not really structured around teamwork. (laughs) So the, you know, uh, you're not really getting rewarded for doing those things most of the time financially. Well, one thing this
1: article stresses too is that you also get burned out faster. Like, because you're Mm. really doing more work. These are time-consuming activities to be, you know, the mentor to someone or to be the one that sort of cleans up the messes in the office, both literally and figuratively. And so women's burnout is is higher because they are expending more, quote, emotional energy at work, too. So you're Mm -hmm. not rewarded and you burn out faster. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. And you get stuck cleaning the uh, coffee pot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Don't make any coffee, Liz. Just I don't make coffee. coffee. Okay. Yeah. I do do that. I just don't make it for anyone else. Yeah. She tell Alice,
1: tell Alice not to make coffee, Julie. Just okay. if you do anything for her, just don't be, yeah. If she just, yeah. Don't make yes. any coffee for anybody.
0: or or putting toner in the copy machine this is always a big decision for me whether or not I should be seen doing that (laughs) because it's one of those things you don't want people to know you have that skill but then again (laughs) you need the copies right
1: (laughs) and it it is kind of lousy to leave the toner cartridge on empty you know and but yeah I you know you die yeah I feel I would feel bad doing that When we worked at uh, Radio Disney with (laughs) those Radio Disney people, I felt like I made three copies a month and I was the only one that changed the toner copy. (laughs) I just was like, this is possible. Hey, it's Liz and Leanne here. And we want to thank Pros for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know, Liz, I've been out and about with my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical. (laughs) The book is getting rave reviews. I'm very happy. But you know what else is
0: getting rave reviews? My hair, Liz, my hair from Prose is getting great
1: reviews.
0: Leon, I am not surprised. You have been on that Prose hair regimen for quite a while. I mean, you have good hair anyway, but now you have great hair because you've really paid attention to it. Well, Liz, Prose is made for people, not hair and skin types.
1: Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And you know what? I love the regimen they have me on. Do I take the hair vitamins every day? Sign up today at butcherbox.com/sisters and use code Sisters to choose your free for year offer. Plus, get twenty dollars off your first order. Thanks, Butcherbox. You know,
0: speaking of work and just day to day in a workplace, uh, I'd like to introduce a um, a new recurring segment here, um, an occasional segment I'm going to call "What I Hate About Email" this week. And uh, because I think because neither of you guys work in <clears throat> corporate environments, you don't realize how ruled we are now by email and email mm-hmm. habits and email systems. It is, it is like such a burden to be chased around <laughs> all day by email. <laughs> and uh, so here's the thing I hate, about, hate most about email this week. Uh, when you go to schedule a meeting. And you have, like, say you're going to have eight people in this meeting. Like, an an email goes out to eight people, like, hey, how's Thursday at 8? 8 a.m. And... Then all eight people say, yes, no, maybe. And then it just starts this snowball of scheduling. Then you have eight people time with eight responses, with eight different suggestions. And then it's like this geometric progression of emails. Next thing you know, you have 8,000 emails right. on the one subject <laughs> of, of a scheduling a meeting. And I, I just don't know how to make it stop. Hmm. I, you know, I like I, So I have told the people that I work with, like once an email has gone back and forth, On the third try, I stopped reading it. Okay, so I'm just not reading it anymore. So once you guys decide what time this meeting is, like once this is done, just let me know because I am not participating in the round after round after round of scheduling emails. So just a small thing, I know, but it can totally rule your day. So that's what I hate about email this week. (laughs)
2: That, we Liz, look forward if it may... to hearing more from you, Liz, <laughs> yes. on this topic, because I feel like you have a lot more to say. Yeah, I do. I do. This topic. You know, I did, I, I
0: entered this year trying to channel the zen of the sea turtle, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, so I just think there's a lot about the email and Facebook and all of those things, which are actually... They just contribute to a complete lack of mindfulness. And so, oh, I posted this on the Facebook page this week. So what I did is I ordered this beautiful sea turtle case for my cell phone. Well, Do you see-
2: saw that, Liz. It's <laughs> lovely. Isn't that nice?
0: That's sure. That, and I understand the irony of this choice, right? The, I'm <laughs> trying to channel the sea turtle, and yet it's this device itself which is working against Any mindfulness I am trying to establish in my life. So I realized that like your cell phone, it's sort of like when you first quit smoking. I quit smoking in my late 20s. And even after you've stopped smoking for a while, you just start unconsciously reaching into your purse or into your pocket or into your desk drawer for a pack of cigarettes. And it takes you like months to just stop automatically reaching, even though you're not smoking anymore. And that's the way I feel about my cell phone now. You just, every time there's a little lull in the action, you find yourself reaching into your pocket or reaching into your purse. So now when I reach in the direction of my cell phone, I'm going to see the sea turtle. Right. Okay. And it's going to remind me do not pick me up. No, no touching the sea turtle. You don't touch the sea turtles. You just let the sea turtles go on with their life. So this is my, this is my retraining method. We'll see how this works too. I'll, I'll report back on this. This,
2: posted list.
0: this particular phase of operation sea turtle was unexpected, but I'm going to see how this can work. The mindfulness connected to my cell phone. Eh. We'll see. I, I, I will uh, totally report back. You know, um, Julie, I
1: know you have to go to uh, your your granddaughter's birthday party. So if you want to, you know, say goodbye, I understand. Goodbye We're to
2: you, Liz. Yeah. and to your turtle. <laughs> Liz you. and I will
1: carry on. Say,
2: okay.
1: Say happy I'm birthday. Fading now. away. Okay. I'm fading
2: away now. Okay. Have, have a happy week, all of you. All right. Talk to okay, Tuesday. Julie.
0: Talk to you next week. Oh. Oh, anyway, so speaking of electronic devices we may or may not need, I did do that flash poll on the Satellite Sisters Facebook group this week about um Radio Shack. Yeah. Because you know, when I heard that Radio Shack was filing bankruptcy and they were going to be closing, you know, all of their stores or most of their stores, it actually kind of made me sad mm-hmm. because I like the shack, whatever they want to call themselves. (laughs) Like there's something about radio shack because they hardly have anything there that it means when you go in there, if you know it's the kind of thing they have, if you go in there and you find something, Mm -hmm. it's incredibly satisfying as opposed to going to like – Home Depot or Best Buy or, or one of those huge big box stores, like to actually scoring something at Radio Shack saves so much trouble compared to going to those places. It's <laughs> a good point. But okay. I, I
1: feel like I should get batteries for my home phones
0: for the rest of my life like yes. now because it's the only place that you can find those things. <laughs> Yeah, so I posted on the Facebook group. Am I the only one uh that that liked Radio Shack? And Emily was one of the like first responses. She's like, "Yeah, we're sorry to break it to you." <laughs> so I, it seemed to break into 50-50. People like me who appreciated the small store, the very select products and batteries, Leon, you put your finger on the thing people went to Radio, uh, Radio Shack for. Yes. Just hard to find batteries. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, for your uh, answering
1: machine, remember mom and dad, like they spent a lot of time at Radio Shack because they had an answering machine. Yes. Yes. And And, which
0: apparently ate batteries like a crazy, crazy thing. So I, I, I bought their phone at Radio Shack because Radio Shack had those phones with the big giant numbers on them. Uh, so, um, so yeah, there are a lot of people that seem to be going. Wendy said best place to go for unusual batteries and fun USB to light up Christmas decorations. So Wendy was in the pro camp and then there were a lot of people. Leslie said, yes, I remember uh, going there a long time ago and wanted to buy something that cost less than a buck and they were filling out a form and they wanted my name. And a lot of people complained about this, Leon, like, how come at Radio Shack they always wanted your name and address or your email address, even if you were buying a single battery? So I guess that just wore people down. Yeah. All of that, you know, intrusion into your personal information. I, I don't know what it is. There were there's uh, Christy said my daughter and friends collected old electronics in high school and then worked with the guys at Radio Shack to fix them up so they could donate them to the homeless. So uh that's great. And so she said, I'm sad to see them go. So I did feel also at Radio Shack like the people that worked there kind of knew what they were doing versus your average Best Buy employee, where no way, no way. But then there are plenty of stories here on the page about people uh, that did not have that experience (laughs) anyway. uh (laughs) I do think the name
1: Radio Shack would be a great name for a podcast. So I just, when the, yeah, when it goes out of business, I just think that's a funny name for a podcast or
0: like a website or something. Yeah. Because it is an unbelievably bad name for their business. Yes. So imagine you're trying to be like on the cutting edge of home electronics and your first word is radio, (laughs) you know, and the second word is shack. So... (laughs) No, neither of those things sound very 21st century. Mm-hmm. No. So I know they tried to rebrand to just the shack. I think that wasn't enough of a change for them. Well, clearly it wasn't enough for a change. Unless uh, you're
1: the Shake Shack, which yes. appears to have worked very well. That You do want to get your shakes from a shack. At a shack, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah Shake Shack went public last week and is now worth like $180 billion or something for shakes. But we're going to have nowhere to get batteries, Leanne. <laughs> Maybe the Shake Shack could just have a battery department. Um, anyway, so Radio Shack. Sorry to see you go. Uh, oh, and speaking of radio, so last night, you know, it's very weird living in Los Angeles. There are elements to living in L.A. where you you're constantly reminded how huge the entertainment business is, in a way that you just don't. It doesn't happen in other cities I've ever lived in. Where a lot of people here. Actually, work in the business like right. your friend, the next door neighbor, the right. street writer. That would seem very exotic in a lot of other places, but in Los Angeles, like everybody seems to have some peripheral connection to the entertainment biz. So, um, I mean, I work in the entertainment business, being in in television, but because I work exclusively outside of the United States. I don't. I don't really run in the fast circles, though. I get occasionally invited to things. So the um, last night. Nielsen, you know, who does the Nielsen ratings, Mm -hmm. and they also do, Nielsen does SoundScan, which measures all of the, in the music business, all of the records and singles and, you know, downloads and things. They throw a big uh, pre-Grammy party on the Saturday night before the Grammy Sunday night. And because I work with the Nielsen rating systems outside the United States, I I got this invitation to this. So the, I decided I needed a haircut anyway. So I went yesterday (laughs) afternoon, (laughs) <laughs> to get my hair cut. So this all makes sense. Like you were yeah. getting your hair done
1: anyway, so you yeah, might as well, well go to the party. I might as well go to the party. Right.
0: The corporate party that, you know, I I was on the fence about going. Then I'm like, well, my hair is going to look fine, so I might as well go. So I'm talking to my hairdresser. As she's cutting my hair. And she said, so are you going out tonight? And I said, uh, I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm going to a Grammy party. She said, oh, which one are you going to? Me too. And I said, well nielsen <laughs> the yeah. nielsen ratings you know them she's like oh and i said where are you going she said i'm going to LL J's party <laughs> so again life in los angeles right. if you're the hair and makeup people are way closer <laughs> to power than the rest of us are so uh so anyway i managed to pull myself together i go to this party and uh there's this very nice little band Playing in the background, and you know, some people are singing along. Most people are just talking over them, and uh, and somebody said to me, "Oh yeah, they're that band. They're nominated for best new artist tomorrow night." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> you, you that was just a cover band house band, yes. uh, somebody's house band. son yeah exactly uh, i had no idea lia i was like i knew it and they said best new artist i'm like well okay well that's not iggy azalea it's not sam smith you know it's no who else is the best new artist i don't even know but i i knew that there was nothing about these guys that like threw off the vibe of best new artist and it was the um it's a british band called bastille Have you heard of them? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I had had never heard of them. Yeah. And apparently tonight they're nominated for Best New Artist.
1: Well, here's the deal with Bastille. They have a song. uh, They play them on K-Rock here, and they have a song called Pompeii. Uh And it got got a lot of airplay this summer. And um, every time I heard it, I would turn to my sons and go, wait, is the name of the song Bastille and the band Pompeii, or is the song Pompeii and the band Bastille? And all of their songs sound alike. So, uh, I don't think you've missed anything. It's a again, it's sort of they're the Brian Williams of alternative music. They're affable. It's an affable band. They were,
0: they seemed very nice. Yeah, very nice. Like their fourth song, yeah. they must have played that because the fourth song in, they played something that I actually recognized. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's yeah, that the song. big song. That's Pompeii. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've heard that on the yeah. radio. Okay. And then I was kind of ready to leave anyway. So I thought, okay, now I, like, yeah. I placed them. And uh, so I left the party. I'm so. So now I'm out standing in line getting my uh, getting my car from the valet. And two minutes later, who's standing behind me in line? But the band. <laughs> 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 they're going to LL Cool J's party. They are going to – I'm sure they are, Leanne. Yeah. I heard better them party. Say they're going off to another party. And I was happy for them <laughs> because I thought, you know, even though they seemed – Merely affable. Yeah. I thought this is your moment. If right. you're Bastille, right? Yeah. The night before the Grammys, you should not be playing for some corporate gig where people like me have no idea who you are. Yeah. You're you're probably never coming back to the Grammys, right? If you're Bastille?
1: Probably so, not. I you know, yeah. who knows? Again, the Grammys it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with quality of music. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just an odd voting block where they it's like old people and bands you've never heard of. And, uh, you know, it's not really like who is the best. And they're not even new. I mean, they've been around for four or five years. So it's new to the hundred year old men that vote for the Grammys, but not really new.
0: (laughs) Not really new. Well, I was super happy that they were getting the heck out of there as quickly as I was. This was like 930. And they, they they were getting out Woo. to go to actual the actual parties that uh, that they had been invited to. So I'm sure later in the evening, my hairdresser saw them at uh, at Hinoki and the Bird, where that's where LL Cool J was having his party. Just FYI, anyway. So. Uh, Tonight, if you see them in the audience, uh, Bastille waving. <laughs> Chances are we will see them on stage, but you know they'll
1: they're... probably play. Their song was a big enough hit that they would be in a mashup. I mean, that okay. was a big hit, Pompeii. Uh, so you'll you'll see them in a mashup with somebody. I, I you know, rumor has it that Madonna and uh, Gaga are going to sing together. Really? Yes, that's the rumor. But who knows if that's true? But they will both be there performing. They are both performing. So okay well
0: we better finish this show so you can edit and post it before the so people can listen to it before the Grammys actually run. <laughs> Most people will be listening to this like a week from now. Yeah. So they'll already know. Anyway. So um, so that was my little night in the entertainment is- industry out on uh, Sunset Boulevard last night was rocking every single. Oh, like, I'm sure. Rest- every single restaurant or bar had some giant music act in yeah. there, which is what happens in L.A. the night before the Grammys, which is why it's so funny that like you work in a town <laughs> where like that's just a big, huge event that affects everybody. Anyway, it was fun. Good. Good luck, Bastille.
1: deal. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'll be watching tonight. A lot of good TV on tonight. The Walking Dead returns. John Oliver returns on HBO. The Grammys, you know, LL Cool J is the host. He's always ent- entertaining, <laughs> entertaining. And then Liz, you're going out of town, right? Oh, you're, I am. you're leaving. You won't be watching any of this,
0: will you? I won't. No, it'll all be. I, my, my DVR will be cranked up. But um, yeah, I'll be out of town all week and I get back on Friday. So by then I'll probably know who won the Grammys. Okay. Before, before I watch. I didn't he, realize LL Cool J was the host. Yeah, he hosted. Yeah, that makes that show even cooler.
1: Yeah. I thought ho- it was. <laughs> no, he hosted the last couple of years. He's like their perma host, you know. Oh, Again, out okay. al- the affable LL Cool J. <laughs> <laughs> now, next year, it may be Brian Williams. He may be looking for work. So he'd be good as the host. You know who I'm going to see Thursday night who's appearing uh, at Froman's here is uh, writer Nick Hornby.
0: Oh, oh, that will be great. So I'm
1: looking forward to that. Yes, he has a new book out called Funny Girl, set in the 60s. And so he's so funny. He was always so affable, so delightful on uh, Satellite Sisters when he was on in the past. So I'm looking forward to seeing him. So that's it. My husband, surviving in London, uh, went to the Arsenal game yesterday, has not caught a cold yet, reports that... um, uh, it is cold, but dry and he's really enjoying it. So there you have it. Well, he must be coming home soon, right? He's coming home Friday. He's going to Dublin. Oh. He's going to Dublin tomorrow. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah, no, I know. Very exciting. Euro. <laughs> and it's very, un- yeah. And then next weekend, Liz, we have the state robotics championship. So I'll ooh, be ooh. on Valentine's day. I'll be at robotics all day. Pretty oh, psyched. It'll does be sound Romantic. <laughs> <laughs> Liz, I don't want to say it, but the worlds are in Kentucky. So oh. we're, we're aiming for worlds. The world robotics? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, man. Kentucky. I would have
0: expected like Tokyo or. Well, they Tampa all come
1: in from Tokyo. Something. Apparently okay. they win. All the people from Tokyo win the world oh, robotics okay. competition, but they're held in the United States. So there you have it. But one, you know, one robotics championship at a time Liz have to survive to the semis of, uh. The state championships. Okay. All right. Well, that is our show for today. Thanks everybody for joining us. You know, you can always find us at SatelliteSisters.com. dot com. Our uh, Twitter is at Sat Sisters. I've been busy on the Twitter lately. I've been doing the Twitter. Uh Great. Been tweeting a lot. Um, you can find us at Facebook. We have the official Satellite Sisters page, and then also our group that you have to join. And Liz approves almost anybody unless you're a bot from Asia. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs>
0: Or or if you have no friends at all. <laughs> right. There are people that it it says they have no friends but they're members of 300 groups. Yeah. I'm I am i am just there's something not right about that. So you're not going to get approved.
1: Or the the picture is like, like a young girl but yeah. it says he joined. Yes. Like they, <laughs> that's very suspicious. P- these people are experts
0: in robotics. Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. And so yes. All right, so you can find us there. Uh, Have a great week, and don't forget, call your satellite sister.
3: tumbling